0: Welcome to this week's podcast, at Bergen Park Church, from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday, I should say. He is risen. My name is Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here at Bergen Park Church, Going to be uh, sharing with you this morning a little bit from uh, the Gospel According to John. So you can find your way there in your Bibles. So Resurrection Sunday is actually a day on the Christian liturgical calendar where we pay particular attention to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean, however, that we ignore the resurrection of, of Christ on other days of the year. In fact, uh, our faith, uh, what we believe as Christians, is rooted in the death and resurrection of our Lord. Every day is about the resurrection. Now Resurrection Sunday is about God overcoming impossible odds, okay? It's about God overcoming the impossible. Now we naturally enjoy stories about people overcoming the odds, right? We can look back in history or even in in current times to men and women who overcame the impossible. Right, who did the impossible. We can think of our favorite sports teams at times who, you know, they were down at the last few seconds, the clock ticking down, and they, they scored that touchdown or hit that three-point shot to win the game. We like those stories of the underdog, right? Last-minute kind of stuff. Now, as I was thinking about this over the last week, the story of Hugh Glass came to mind. I don't know if you're familiar with Hugh Glass, he was a 19th century frontiersman, early 19th century, born in the East, but spent most of his time in Montana, and the Dakotas. And he's well known, famous in history, for surviving a horrible grizzly bear attack, okay? So he was out fur trapping, doing whatever frontiersmen did at that time in history, and he startled a mother grizzly bear and her cubs, so the bear turned on him and mauled him. It was a terrible, terrible thing. He, it left uh, ribs exposed, his chest, his back, lacerations everywhere, his, his leg broken. But in spite of his wounds, Glass managed to kill the bear with his trusty hunting knife. And by punching it in its ugly bear face, he killed the bear and, and survived. His companions uh, came up on him, found him unconscious, laying underneath the body of this bear. So being good companions as they were, they threw him in a shallow grave, took his supplies and his weapons, and left, left him for dead. But the thing is, Glass regained consciousness at one point, crawled up out of his shallow grave, reset his broken leg, cleaned out his infected wounds, and wrapped himself in the bear skin and made his way 200 miles across hostile Indian territory to the nearest settlement. He survived. A story of impossible odds. Everything was working against him, yet he survived. Now, Resurrection Sunday is about our God overcoming these kind of insurmountably hopeless circumstances. It's about the God of the possible overcoming seemingly impossible situations, bringing life out of death. And see, the resurrection of Jesus can be none other than a miracle in the strictest sense of the term. As we reflect on the resurrection of Jesus this morning, I think it's helpful actually to go go back to another event in the life of Jesus, an event that happened just prior to his own death and resurrection. This is a story of Jesus and his friend Lazarus, where Jesus raises Lazarus to life. And the idea is that Jesus is preparing the people for an even greater resurrection to come. And what I want to focus on in the text this morning are the words of Jesus Christ when he says, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. So turn with me to John chapter 11 this morning, and we're going to read verses 17 through 27. Now when Jesus came, this is, he came to to Bethany, the, the town of Bethany, where Lazarus and his sisters lived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall he live, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, we know that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful to teaching us, correcting us, rebuking us, training us up in righteousness. Lord, through this story, as we ponder this passage this morning, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to receive what your Holy Spirit would, would instruct us with. We thank you, Lord. We, we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus was a very close friend with Lazarus and his sisters, and you you can read about these accounts of Jesus and his interactions with uh, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha in in other parts of the New Testament. Jesus was very close with this family. In fact, they were disciples of Jesus, not counted among the twelve, but they were followers of Jesus. And so when you consider how close Jesus was with Lazarus, it's, it's kind of surprising that he waits as long as he does before visiting Lazarus. He's heard that Lazarus was sick. Word had been sent to him, and yet he he waited. It might seem like a, a strange thing, but Jesus has something very specific in mind for his friend. In fact, Jesus allows Lazarus to die so that he can raise him to life. It may seem odd, but understand that Jesus does this to teach a lesson in faith, To bring glory to God and to give onlookers a foretaste of his own resurrection to come. So there's a liturgical and pedagogical reason Jesus does what he does. He wants to invoke worship of God while instructing his followers in God's plan of salvation and restoration. And what we see here in the passage is that Jesus makes a very bold claim. And he follows it up with a very bold action. So the first thing I want us to ponder in this text are the words of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Now notice Jesus doesn't say I am capable of performing a resurrection or of being resurrected. Now we know Jesus has already raised others from the dead. We can go back to the Old Testament and find examples of of prophets raising people to life. So this is not necessarily a new thing. But Jesus actually says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I embody life and restitution. I bring definition and meaning to these terms because they are entrenched in who I am and what I do. Jesus is God. He is the creator of life. He is life. You see, a lot of people have made bold claims about themselves at various times in history. Uh, King Louis Fourteenth was famous for saying, Je suis l'État, I, I am the state, right? The state, it is me. In other words, uh, I, I embody government. I, I embody uh, authority. Judge Dredd, he said, I am the law, right? Maybe you remember that one. I am justice, I am judgment. But Jesus one-ups these guys, Okay? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. See, in this incredible statement, Jesus wishes to divert Martha's focus from this abstract concept about an event that will take place on some future distant day. And he, he wants to bring her focus to a very real, very personal reality of, of who he is. You see, the resurrection is not simply just an event. Jesus ties this to who he is, as creator and savior of the world. So the resurrection of Jesus ensures that we too will be resurrected someday. See, if the God of life and death voluntarily allowed Jesus, the God-man, to die and mightily restored him to life, then how much more can we believe that we too will be raised to life on the last day? Our hope is in what Jesus Christ has accomplished. Further, the resurrection of Jesus ensures that life is not meaningless, that the human spirit is not snuffed out upon death, that the curse of sin under which we live, it will be overturned by the power of God. See, we worship a God who is the resurrection and the life. Now, unlike Eastern religions, Eastern pantheistic religions that teach this hopeless cycle of reincarnation, on the wheel of samsara again and again reincarnated until maybe someday finally you will be absorbed into the nothingness that is the universe. Unlike Eastern religions, unlike Western secularism that teaches that we are nothing more than soulless meat machines whose only purpose is to pass our genetic material into the next generation and die, unlike these views, unlike these religions. The Bible teaches something else. It it exhorts us to hope in the God who offers us eternal life in His glorious presence, if by faith we believe in Him. See, there's hope for this life and for the next, because Jesus is life itself. So Jesus makes a bold claim here, but He follows it up with a very bold action, Look again at what Jesus does here. You see that Jesus had waited several days before visiting Lazarus. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days before Jesus arrived. Now, it was not a very long distance from where Jesus was. He could have arrived earlier. In fact, Martha, Mary, they, they had hoped that Jesus would come and, and, and heal Lazarus. They'd seen his miracles. And yet Jesus waits Four days Lazarus had been in the tomb. Now, in the Jewish tradition, it was thought that a soul would actually hover over a body for three days, intending to re-enter the body. That was a Jewish tradition or or superstition at the time. According to a rabbinical commentary on the subject, it was said that when the soul witnessed the actual physical appearance of the body begin to change, it would be startled and, and leave. So on the fourth day, when it witnessed this decomposition, it would permanently depart because it didn't recognize its, its body any longer. That was the, the, the belief at the time. And I'm confident Jesus was fully aware of that tradition, of that superstition. And I further suspect that Jesus' intention was to ensure that his miracle could only be seen as such. There could be no doubt, absolutely no doubt in the minds of the witnesses that Lazarus was truly dead, four days in the tomb. There could be no room to doubt the magnitude of the miracle Jesus had performed. And this is important when we think about the death of Jesus, the death that he would soon die. Just as Lazarus was dead beyond the shadow of a doubt, so too... There could be no doubt that Jesus was truly dead. The Romans knew what they were doing when they put someone to death. These guys were master executioners. When they started an execution, they made sure the job was finished, right? This wasn't like in... Conan the Barbarian, where Conan, Arnold Schwarzenegger, is put on the cross by Thalsa Doom, his, his arch-enemy, and he ends up, he's up there on this cross, biting the heads off of vultures that are trying to peck at him, and then ends up getting off the cross and going on this rampage against his, his enemies, uh, hunting them down in this muscle-bound, testosterone-infused display of good old-fashioned, double-decker, cinematic, over-the-top vengeance, or that kind of thing. See, that's not how crucifixion actually works. Historical records corroborate the biblical account of crucifixion, what Jesus endured at the cross. He was mercilessly beaten, forced to carry his cross, the weight of that cross on his back as he was led through the streets of Jerusalem to the place of the skull, Golgotha. His extremities were nailed to the cross where he was hung to slowly, brutally asphyxiate under his own weight. Even after he was dead and confirmed dead, the soldiers pierced him through his side, ensuring he was gone. Seasoned warriors, executioners within the Roman ranks, they knew where to stab a person to make sure they were dead. Jesus could not have survived. See, the resurrection of Jesus, like the resurrection of Lazarus, was designed by God to get our attention. The resurrection of Jesus, like the resurrection of Lazarus, was about God's power in overturning the effects of death. And in the case of Jesus, overturning the eternal effects of death. See, it's about God's power in defeating the devil And his stronghold, it's about God accomplishing an atoning work through Jesus who serves as our substitute, who went to the cross in our place. See, Lazarus would die again someday, but Jesus, his resurrection was for all time. Now when we think of God overcoming the impossible at Easter, we should be reminded of two implications of of the resurrection, two important things here. The first thing is that we are raised spiritually with Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are raised spiritually. But more than that, we will be raised physically. We will be raised physically when Jesus returns to judge the world. See, God overcomes impossible odds. And if we're willing to look, we will see that around us. I'm sure many of you can tell stories of God overcoming the impossible in your life surviving an accident or cancer, maybe coming out of a past with abuse or, 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 or substance abuse or these kinds of things, God reaches into people's lives and overcomes the impossible. When I was a church planter, our church would regularly host evangelistic outreach events in the city. We called it cafe evangelism. So we would go into a local bar or, or, or cafe and we'd set up a microphone, we'd ask the owners if we could just give a, a, a brief talk to the patrons in, in the bar, and oftentimes they would agree. So we would give a talk, say, on the existence of God, or can we trust the, the, the reliability of the New Testament, or can we believe in resurrection? We'd just give a, a brief talk and then open up the mic to people to, to share, to ask questions, to debate with us. And we met a lot of interesting people through these, these events. Um, some of them ended up uh, coming to our church, others... We would have follow-up conversations with them. Others, we, we never saw again. There's one man in particular, though, that stands out in my mind that I still remember. Now, I've forgotten his name, but I remember him as the man with the Satan tattoo. Okay? His entire back, every square inch of skin, was covered with a grotesque image of a, a pentagram goat, a, a vile, demonic image that he'd had tattooed on his back. He showed me the tattoo, and he shared a little bit about his story, how he'd grown up in the Catholic faith, in the Catholic Church. But then, as he grew, he abandoned that faith and gave his life to the Satanic Church. Now, he didn't believe in God. He didn't believe in any deity, in fact, not even Satan. That wasn't the idea. The idea was to pursue hedonistic pleasure and anything else that was antithetical to Christian faith and practice. That's how he lived. He was so committed to the rejection of God that he had the very symbol of his rebellion against God tattooed on his back permanently. Now, you'd think that a man so committed to hatred of God would be, well, would be beyond hope, The odds of restoration, of resurrection, of reconciliation with God were entirely against him. The odds were against him. But our God is a God who overcomes impossible odds, hopeless circumstances. God continued to bring Christians into this man's life. And just as Jesus raised Lazarus to life, so too God called the man with the Satan tattoo out of his lifestyle of death and self-destruction. He opened his eyes to the gospel. We had the privilege of discipling this young man in our church for a couple of months. He attended the church. We got to know him. We got to share Christ with him, watch him grow in his faith. He ended up moving away. Um, I lost touch with him. I think he he took a job in Paris and had moved moved away. Um, But one day, I... Expect I'll see him again at the resurrection where all is made new, where we stand renewed in the presence of the glory of God, where even flesh will be restored. The image of his rebellion will be washed from his flesh. See, the gospel brings the dead to life. The gospel brings the dead to life spiritually, emotionally, physically, Eternally, literally, the gospel brings the dead to life. And here's the gospel. It's, it's quite simple. A, a verse we should all be familiar with, First John chapter 5, verse 12. If you want to know what the gospel is, it's simply this. Whoever has the Son has life. That's it. Whoever has the Son has life. If you have the Son, you have life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's it. That's the question. Do we have the Son? See, God is bigger than our sin. He's bigger than the grave. No one here today is beyond hope. I just want to encourage you with that. No one here today is beyond hope. Our God is a God of the possible. The odds may seem like they're against you, but the God of the universe Jesus Christ is not worried about the odds. He is the resurrection and the life. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, again, for your word, for these amazing stories. And these aren't just stories. This is not fiction. This is not mythology. Lord, we acknowledge this is truly history, time, space, history, things that you have done. Lord, we thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the resurrection of our Savior, that he overcame death, he overcame sin, he overcame the the work of the devil, that he has ascended to the right hand of the Father from where he reigns. We thank you for that truth, Lord. Help us to remember that you are a God of the possible Lord, if if there's anything in us keeping us from faith, Lord, would you remove that? Help us to put our trust, our faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, our our practice here at Bergen Park Church each week is to celebrate communion together. And so I want to invite you um, to collect... uh, Communion elements, there are some here in the front. Uh, There's also a table in the back. You can go ahead and grab those communion elements. Um, Understand communion is for Christians, okay? Um, You don't have to be a member of Bergen Park Church. But what Scripture tells us is you do need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to participate in communion. Communion is an opportunity for us to reflect on our relationship with our Lord, to repent of sin in our lives, to celebrate the cross of Jesus Christ, His glorious resurrection, and to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ when they see you taking that communion. That is a public testimony, a public witness to others of, of your faith. So I'm going to take us uh, briefly to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and just read to you what the Apostle Paul says concerning communion. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup." for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So as I said, this is an opportunity for us to reflect on our relationship with the Lord, our faith in the Lord. If you are a Christian, I want to invite you, take the communion with me. I'm going to start with the bread. Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. He then took the cup and said, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you make this a reality in our hearts? We know it's it's truth. We know it's historical fact. But Lord, would you make it real to us? Help us to put our faith in you, to live every day in the hope of the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.